Looking for an assist with your credit card, but you can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. out and away we ayo welcome to another episode of no breaks a formula one podcast from the no dunks inc classic factory proudly a part of the athletic podcast network i'm your host trey kirby we got our team principal jd running things down in the paddock and we're joined by our local f1 expert a man who sips champagne when he's thirsty it's Graydon Gordy. And Graydon, what's up, dude? What's up, everyone? How you doing, Trey? I know you had a big old birthday this weekend. Ooh. Joining me uh, with the legendary number 37. Nobody cares about 36 through 39, to be quite honest, Graydon, but still fun times. Uh, I think it would make me the fourth or fifth oldest driver on the grid, perhaps. <laughs> so I'm, you know, I still got a few years before I'm, 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 an, old, I'm, an, old, I'm an oldie, but yeah. Yeah, I, li- I like to think 37 isn't old either, but unfortunately it is. Nonetheless, whether you're listening on Apple, Spotify, the Athletic app, or any other podcast service, maybe you're joining us. You're part of the Slipstream team watching live here on YouTube. Thank you very much for coming along for the ride. Had a big triple header in the Formula One world this past month, Graydon. So much drama. I'm going to hit you with one big thing. From each of these races, and I think we're going to go reverse chronological order because at this point, the Mexico Grand Prix was almost a month ago and maybe not the most exciting of the races. So let's go to Qatar on November 21st. First Grand Prix ever in Qatar, a night race. I like that. My one big thing from this one, Graydon, we got ourselves a championship race. Yes, we do. To be quite honest, Lewis Hamilton dominated this one. He finished first, 25 seconds ahead of Max Verstappen. Verstappen was 34 seconds ahead of Fernando Alonso there in P3. Not a bad race for Verstappen. He started seventh after a penalty in qualifying, moved into P3 by lap four. P2 on lap five, Red Bull tried what they could. They tried the undercut a couple of times, but Hamilton was so far ahead. Mercedes just brought him in and was able to uh, bypass that. The undercut didn't work. It was a lights-to-flag victory, I saw they were saying, for Lewis Hamilton. That's a great term. Verstappen did pick up the fastest lap point late in this race. He currently leads Lewis Hamilton by eight points for the Drivers' Championship. My question to you, Graydon, has Mercedes been sandbagging this whole time? Their car seems to be getting faster as the year goes on. Well, you know, they're they're actively developing the car throughout the season. You know, they're continuing to make improvements. You have to ask themselves, at some point, did they actually make the strategic decision to forego further improvements on the 2022 car to ensure that they could be more competitive this year? But the biggest change that we've probably seen is the kind of the engine power 
reversal a bit. At the start of the season, Honda's engine looked great. It looked like it could go toe-to-toe with Mercedes and at times was possibly even more powerful. In more recent races, Mercedes, the Mercedes-powered vehicles and Merck in particular, have been flying. In Qatar, Hamilton wasn't even using the new engine that he brought to Brazil. They switched back to an older engine to save that extra power for the final two races. And yet he still blew Verstappen away. So they made some incredible improvements to the power unit over the season. And that is paying big dividends for them here at these critical moments. You're making this sound like NBA playoff adjustments where, you know, maybe there's nine guys in your playoff rotation in game one. By game four, you're down to seven guys. And by game seven, there's like five guys, maybe six, who an NBA coach will trust on the floor. That's crazy to me that Mercedes can be that picky and choosy with which one of their engines they're actually running out there. Is that a common sort of thing? Because I know uh, we'll get into it in a little bit here, but Hamilton took a grid penalty in the Brazilian Grand Prix, switching to a new engine. So you're telling me he went to a new engine for Brazil, then went back to the original one for Qatar, and it was still the fastest car out there. Doesn't seem fair to me. In fact, I I was a little confused when I first read that. Uh, You don't often see that. Normally when people just take a new power unit, they just stick with it as it's the better power unit. But they've had reliability issues all year long. That's actually been one of the criticisms of the Mercedes engine is perhaps it's not as reliable as years past. So they knew they wanted to. And it's power degrades over time with each race. That's why they take a new engine, not just because of the upgrades, but because of the declining performance. They wanted to make sure they had it in Saudi Arabia and Abu Dhabi. So, you know, they went back to the one that they had had in Mexico in a couple previous races, and it still did an excellent job. It's definitely looking like this is going to be much tighter than things potentially looked post-Mexico, where for a second there it looked like maybe Red Bull was going to waltz away with it. Yeah, uh, definitely. And the car looks fast. Mercedes looks fast. I think uh, Toto has said that um, the car is in the best place it's been for the entire season which when you're coming to the final two races, that's probably how you want it to be. That being said, car didn't look great for Botas there, Botas. I started sixth after a penalty in qualifying, a bad start dropped into 11th, picked up a puncture on lap 35, and finally retired on lap 50 with no points, leaving Mercedes with a five-point lead for the Constructors' Championship. Just a comedy of errors for Valtteri in this one, Graydon. So brutal because for a minute there, Valtteri actually looked like he was almost flourishing, you know, kind of after the summer break. He had no pressure. He was leaving the team. You know, he was gobbling up poles. He just looked good, right? You know, and then for a couple races here in a row, he's he's really fumbled the ball. And I, it's been nowhere worse, Yeah, but nowhere worse than Qatar. <laughs> I think obviously the puncture and the retirement, I don't know that you can blame those on him necessarily, especially with the way those curbs in Qatar were looking. They were really taking their toll on people's cars in general. But the start was a catastrophe, like dropping down to P11 right out the gate. There's no good reason <laughs> for him to be doing that. Like there's truly really no good reason. So I, it, it, it's a little bit inexplicable. And, and certainly I can assure you in a, construct, in a constructor's championship race that is also razor thin, 
Toto could not be happy. Valtteri <laughs> <laughs> not getting any points in these races. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. I don't know if um, F1 content creators are into making highlight mixes, and then if there are those content creators who also want to make the low light mixes. But there's an easy low light mix of bad Bottas starts. Man, this guy is. He's a little slow off the line, no doubt about it. But uh, it's interesting you mentioned the curbs. That was something I wanted to ask you about as well. Like I said, Botas had a puncture. Uh, George Russell, Nicholas Latifi, they both got punctures. And it kind of felt like the same thing for all three of those cars. They had been on their tires for quite some time. And then you mentioned it, the curbs in Qatar, those things look sharp. I, yeah. I think they kept mentioning that this is normally a Moto GP track and perhaps they have different curbs there, but... They had like those little sharp pyramid looking curbs, which looked like they were going to puncture your tire if you drove over them. Why is this not like a standard curb? You know, we have problems with sausage curbs earlier in the year. That's what people have been calling me ever since. But it seems to me there should be one set of curbs you use that don't destroy tires all the time. And I guess the thing to me is, is when I've heard defenses of curbs and things like this, it's meant to suggest that. People have made the defense that these curbs are are supposed to be punishing on your car and they're supposed to Mm. punish you for running wide or using parts of the track you're not and kind of restrict you as much as they slow you down as well. But clearly that... that disincentive isn't working, right? Like guys, guys drive over them anyway. <laughs> totally. All it does is create like a lot of mayhem, which a little bit of mayhem is fun, but at some point you don't want several guys having tires blow or having guys having parts of their front wing ripped off or whatever. It's just, it's, it's not ideal, right? So it's, I think the other thing that was really unclear and, and made it much worse is at a new track, Unique conditions, a lot of learning on the fly. A lot of teams were really unclear whether one or two stops was optimal. Mm -hmm. And people pushing for the one stop, the tire degradation you were seeing made the curbs all the more dangerous. Certainly, you know, I think it, it, there was a lot of on the fly decision making going on with tire strategy that maybe you'll see get minimized over the years as there's more and more data built up about track conditions and how things really evolve out there. Great answer. For now, I would suggest uh, if you see a sharp, pokey thing on the side of the road, don't drive over it with old tires. One of my uh, go-to sayings in F1, don't drive over sharp things with old tires. Outside of the championship picture, however, uh, great. And another big thing here, Fernando Alonso finished on the podium for the first time since 2014. There was a great moment. Must have been probably about lap 40. I think uh, Sergio Perez comes in to pit putting him behind uh, Fernando Alonso's teammate, Esteban Ocon. You hear Alonso on the radio talking to his race engineer saying that Ocon needs to defend like a lion, just the way Alonso did for Ocon in Hungary, getting uh, Ocon the win there. Perez eventually does pass Ocon on lap 47. Checo makes a charge on Alonso. Not to be, though. Alonso finishes P3 with Checo behind him about three seconds. Alonso was out of F1 for two seasons, maybe, Graydon? Two seasons. Two yeah. seasons. What do you think yeah. about uh, how he's been driving since he's come back to Alpine this year? I mean, I think he's been terrific this second half of the season. He started off slow, and I think that it raised the question, does this guy still got it? Was this a mistake? 
you know, neither he nor Vettel nor Raikkonen is kind of the old guard. All, none of them looked especially strong at the start of the season. And you started to wonder, is it time for these guys to kind of just move on? But the truth is they've made a lot of changes to the setup over the course of the year. He's worked really closely with the engineering team at Alpine to rethink how the setup needs to play to his driving style and capitalize on what he does best. And you've seen him just gobble up points, you know, over the second half of the year. He's performed much better. And, uh, you know, this being, you know, the best of all. A, a truly terrific performance, I think, shows that were he in the right car, he could, in fact, still win races. Yeah, I, I mean, he's a fierce competitor, you know, and, and an incredible driver. I think a lot, myself included, like a lot of uh, us that are, we weren't there for his heyday when he was winning titles. The truth was, is he was awesome and, and had a super unique driving style that was, you know, so competitive, so aggressive. I love to see him fighting out there, and I think he has a couple good years left in him still. I hope that Alpine can improve, and we this isn't the last podium we see for him. Yeah, I feel like when Alonso was leaving F1, I was down on him. He didn't make the greatest impression in Drive to Survive. It felt like he was always complaining about the car, and it was never his fault, but he has been awesome, I think, in this uh, second half of the F1 season, and he really thrives whenever he just gets into, a, into the mix with an another old champion, like when he was defending against uh, 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 Hamilton in Hungary, that was awesome. He had the scrap with Raikkonen in Austin and then with uh, Giovinazzi as well, both of the Alfa Romeos. And then in this one, you know, with Perez trying to chase him down, you mentioned that Alonso could possibly challenge for a championship if he was in the right car. This is a good question from Bilal in the Slipstream team who says, what if Red Bull had signed Alonso instead of Checo? What do you think happens there? Do you think Alonso, I mean, Checo's doing well. He's still, I think he's, uh, is he third or fourth in the driver's standings right now? I don't know, but he's no worse than fourth. Um, But he's been a little bit up and down, whereas definitely Alonso has been improving as the season goes on. Would that have been a smart move to bring in Alonso alongside Verstappen? You know, it's interesting. I think that Alonso acknowledges that adjusting to the new car was difficult, and that was certainly the same case that Checo in Red Bull. Red Bull is even perhaps a famously difficult car to drive. That's why guys like Albon and Gasly have flamed out there are part of the reason. It's also, you got to wonder, what does a Red Bull garage look like with both Max Verstappen and Fernando (laughs) Alonso in it? Alonso is just a famously difficult you know <laughs> guy to be the, the, the co-driver of he's had just incredibly intense you know competition with his fellow drivers if anything that's a really unique thing about this year i was listening to the beyond the grid episode with fernando alonso and he was talking a little bit about how humbled he was leaving the sport he chose to leave but how much he missed it, how much he appreciates the opportunity to be back in it, how special it feels to have a drive. And I wonder if that plays into the fact that Esteban Ocon has been very vocal about how much he loves working with Alonso and how great their relationship has been. Ocon is basically the first guy to ever say that about Alonso. (laughs) I mean, everybody always, like nobody says that. So so perhaps he has a new lease on life and, and he and Max sort of worked really well together. Uh, but I don't know. It's it's it, it feels to me like he he naturally gravitated back towards the organizations that he had a history with. In this instance, Renault, with whom he had won championships. Well, I'm loving Fernando Chilonzo this season. A couple of other notable uh, finishes in this one. Carlos Sainz, P7. Charles Leclerc, P8. They both finished ahead of Lando Norris, P9. And Daniel Ricciardo, P12. Not a good one. You mentioned Pierre Gasly earlier. 
This was a ghastly one for him. That's a pun for you right there. Started P2, finished P11 out of the points. Anything else you want to touch on uh, from Qatar, Graydon? No, that was that was about it for me. I think you're right. That I had huge hopes for Gasly starting at P2. He's looked so strong in races. I just thought that this is a great chance for him to end up on the podium. That he's got to be upset with how that panned out. Yeah, ugly one for him, though. I think a pretty solid season for Gasly, all things considered. He looks at home, for sure, uh, driving for Alpha Tauri. Let's go to Brazil, November 14th. Um, Graydon, this may have been the race weekend of the year. My one big thing, Lewis Hamilton, 100% still got it. This was incredible. Tons of pre-race drama. Started on Friday. After qualifying, that's right, qualifying on Friday. This was our third sprint qualifying race. Wild stuff, Graydon. Paddock talk here. After qualifying on Friday, apparently everybody figured out that Lewis Hamilton's rear wing opened up a little bit too big when he was hitting the DRS button. Max Verstappen had to go investigate. Touched the Mercedes under Park Ferme conditions. You don't want to do that. Lewis Hamilton got disqualified from qualifying, which is a sentence I never thought I would say. Max Verstappen gets a fine. Uh, after all of this was going down on the Friday and when finally heard the decisions about what's gonna, what was going to change for the starts on Saturday, do you think all of these were the right calls that Hamilton was getting bumped from? Getting bumped, he's going to have to end up starting 20th in the sprint qualifying. Meanwhile, Verstappen... Only gets a fine. Obviously, Mercedes thinks it's too harsh of a penalty for them. Red Bull thinks we didn't do anything wrong in the first place. Blah, blah, blah. These guys are beefing. It feels like they're always at odds right now. I, I, this is, I, maybe it's controversial to say this, but I actually think what they did was correct. Uh, I feel like it, they got a lot of criticism, but... The rule book is fairly clear about the width of the opening in your rear wing under DRS. And if they measured it and it was, in fact, opening too large, then I think that that automatically disqualifies him from the qual from qualifying. <laughs> I don't believe that Max Verstappen <laughs> caused that opening by, like, gently touching it. I also think that you it was going to be hard to penalize Max more than that because so many guys poke around competitors' cars during Park Ferme. And, like, Sebastian Vettel is famous for this. He's like he's like Inspector Gadget out there, like, kicking tires and, like, poking and stuff. Yeah, he does that all Loves the time with, without penalty. So if you've seen Vettel do that over and over and over again. How are you suddenly going to come down on Max for it right now? At the very least, you need to reestablish that rule and – Perhaps you could penalize it more harshly in the future, but it felt like that would have gotten just an equal amount of criticism had they done something harsher to Max. Yeah, well, nobody wants fingerprints on their car, so you can understand yeah. why they have the rules in the first place. But this is still just Friday. We got two more days of racing left. Graydon, it's like I said, our third sprint qualifying after the penalty. Hamilton starts 20th. He makes his way back to fifth during the sprint race. To me, this was easily the best sprint qualifying we've had so far. Wild and I think mile. it all comes down to putting the fastest car at the end and saying, try to catch up. This was awesome. 
Well, it, it, it raises a question, which is the teams have largely pushed back against it, but in F2 and some other contexts, they do reverse grid races where, you know, the higher you are in the standings, the further you back in the grid you start, you know, first starts 20th, so on and so forth. And the instances in which we've seen that, which this sprint qualifying or Russia, where Max, Valtteri, and Charles Leclerc all were towards the back of the grid, they made for incredible races, tons of overtaking, tons of action. I think at the very least they've got to look at this sprint qualifying and and say, is this a fun thing to do, at least in a limited context? I've normally been anti-reverse grid races. It felt like kind of just against the spirit of things to to penalize people who are succeeding. But inarguably, it makes for incredible racing, just wild stuff. Oh, yeah. To and it changes, point. I feel like it changes the strategies too. Where like if the uh, if the fastest cars are having to drive their best, like it's putting extra stress on their drivers and on their tires, and it just almost la- levels the playing field. Though I am with you, it's very strange uh, to be like, oh, you guys are in first place, you're starting last this week. So, but that and it's also weird. a great equalizer. It's you really where you start to see the difference between cars and drivers i mean this has got to be the the i'm a valtteri botas defender but the biggest critique you got to have of him is when he gets stuck in the back of the pack he cannot overtake anybody to save his life he gets caught back there he ends up missing you know finishing outside the points all the time because of some mishap and gets stuck at the back of the grid meanwhile lewis gobbles up these guys like they're m&m's it's like nothing he just flies past them right so it's like i so it's i mean it's a clear you know, you see a clear difference in their capabilities, their racecraft in those instances. And it's cool to see. And you're right. I mean, Hamilton just looked, I mean, he looked like there's a reason many people consider him the greatest of all time. And it's because of the way he looked on that Saturday. Yeah, exactly. You watched that Saturday and you were thinking exactly like you said, he's got a lot of M&Ms to gobble up on Sunday and he got eaten pretty fast because after taking a five place grid penalty for a new engine, Hamilton starts 10th, Botas is on pole again, bad start, passed by both the Red Bulls once again, so it's time to start eating. If you're Lewis Hamilton on lap three, Hamilton passes signs into P5 on lap four. Hamilton passes Leclerc into P4, and on lap six, Botas and Hamilton invert cars, pulling Lewis Hamilton into P3 in six laps. The guy made up seven places, Graydon, and then it was really on. The battle with Sergio Perez started right around lap 17. On lap 18, Hamilton pulls a move on Perez, passes on the outside. A nice move. Looks like he's got it, but not quite. Perez jets back into P2. The next lap at the same turn, Hamilton passes Perez again and makes it stick this time for P2. If that was the only battle, that would have been awesome. But it wasn't even close to the only battle. That was the amuse bouche to the entree with Max. On lap 48, Graydon, the drama! Hamilton makes his first real run at Verstappen, and Verstappen runs him wide. You heard Christian Horner on the radio to Michael Massey, the race director. This is all about letting them race, Michael. It's all (laughs) about letting them race. The ruling comes down from the stewards. We noted it. We saw it happen. No investigation necessary. When Bono tells Lewis, all Lewis can say is, of course, man, of course, what do you think? No investigation necessary. Was that the right call on this one? I think 
I think it's insane that they didn't investigate this. Come on. And, and you've got to penalize him something there. I mean, he, like, I mean, they go, how many, how many laps are there in this race? 71 or something like that. And they, he completed 70 of them on the track. <laughs> and then somehow at that one instance, he happens to go 20 feet wide of the turn. You know, I mean, it's like, I, I, it's, he clearly, stops driving into the turn <laughs> yes. and forces him off the track. It was clear as day. I mean, they claimed that they didn't have all the footage because they have limited camera footage in real time and they weren't able to see his the actual wheel motion. But there's so much data they have around these cars at their availability, not to mention there was just an eye test that it absolutely failed. That I just think, I, I cannot believe that they didn't penalize him even just five seconds there sure I- i'm sure if you're if you're mercedes you've got to be flabbergasted especially given you know the fact that just a day before for just a being a you know a millimeter off in your rear wing you lost 20 places in an instant so well you know what i say great and it's all about letting him race out there but i mean that was that was ridiculous verstappen basically drove <laughs> through the corner straight like he just went straight and he's like all right i guess i gotta go left finally here we'll finish the race so it put uh, set hamilton back a little bit because he didn't really have another chance uh to pass max for another 10 laps basically but lap 58 takes another chance no luck this time on Ma- on lap 59 Hamilton finally gets it done, passes Max Verstappen into P1. The Brazilian crowd goes crazy, and we got a great moment uh, from Toto Wolff in the paddock. They were waiting for this guy's reaction shot when he finally got past, uh, when Hamilton finally passes Verstappen, and Toto did not disappoint. What a stare down and point this guy did. This was awesome. What a character Toto Wolff is. It's like it, he's like a character out of a movie with the name Toto Wolf. I can't even believe that he's just so perfect for what he is and how he is. Yeah, I, yeah, mean, uh, I love, I don't know, just uh, the interplay between him and Horner, I think, is very funny as well, too. But uh, anyways, Hamilton goes on to win this race, won it pretty easily, 10 seconds uh, gap. Uh, eventually. So he started last in the sprint on Saturday, finished first on Sunday. In college football, to win the Heisman, you got to have a Heisman moment, right? Like, uh, I don't know, Eric Crouch catching a touchdown on a reverse or something like that. Something they're going to put in the highlight tape. This, to me, if, uh, if Hamilton goes on to win this championship, this is the race to remember. He said it was the best weekend of his career. Do you think that's true? I mean, <laughs> the guys won a lot of races, yeah. I think, right? So, and so it's hard for me to definitively say <laughs> yeah, it's man. better than like the hundred plus other races that he's won. But I mean, to to overcome 25, 25 places over two days is just a monster effort. I mean, it might it might be you know it's it's given the fact that sprint qualifying is comparatively new, they're kind of truly is nothing like it in history because nobody's even had the opportunity, I think, to do something along those lines. But it's it's it was wild. Just one of the great drives I do think we'll ever we'll ever see. And if you're it's true. If he goes on to win this title, it started right there in Interlagos. Which is, by the way, such a great track. Like every year. I was so excited for this race. This year it delivered kind of more than I even expected. But every year, it's insane. 
It's so good. It's one of my favorite top three races, you know, sites for me, top three tracks for me. There does seem to always be a lot of fireworks at Interlagos. Why is it such a good race? Is it just because it's a good track for overtaking? I mean, I think that was kind of Mercedes strategy coming in, right? They're like, we know that Hamilton's going to be starting further back in the pack. We'll take our engine this weekend because we know we can make it up being able to actually pass around here. I think that first sector is just especially electrifying. You know, they come, they end up being flat out through so much of the third sector coming onto the straight. And then you've got, they're just carrying so much speed into that first corner. And then you've got some, you know, a very quick DRS zone right behind that. So there's just like this one period where, which is really all you need on the track is just like one section that, fosters a lot of action you know what I mean because you just can only create so many moments uh you know around a course right so it's like but that one I think just just absolutely delivers year in year out that first sector has just that that is is awesome so it's because you've got this big sweeping turn coming down after the main straight it's just cool and I think this the vibe there is great it just seems like the fans love it Brazil is one of the great f1 nations having produced a lot of champions over the years and Oh, it's, I love it. And they've got it set up nice where if the passes are going to happen, it happens right in front of a grandstand. And like you mentioned, Brazil is in a great F1 nation and they are huge, huge Lewis Hamilton fans. It was loud when this guy was going into P1. That was a fun race. Race of the year for me. I don't know about you, Graydon, but podium ended up being Hamilton, Verstappen, Botas. Sergio Perez finishes in P4. He takes home a point for fastest lap. These fastest lap points are going to add up at the end of the season with how tight we are right here. So looking good uh, for Red Bull right there. Other uh, notable finishes, Leclerc, P5, Sainz, P6, Norris, P10, Danny Rick. Danny retired in this one. Another not great one for Daniel Ricciardo. This is a backbreaker for McLaren, who, and we'll talk about it in a moment, just the race before, also didn't have a great outcome in Mexico. This might have been the nail in the coffin for their hopes to finish third this year. You know, Ferrari gobbling up 18 points, then taking home just one point. A very confusing outcome. In this instance, Norris and Sainz tangled a little bit, and that was part of the, Norris's problem. A little bit, you know, he had to pit early and things like that, right? But at the end of the day, they've just, after what looked like such a strong first half of the season and coming out of Monza, you know, they just look like a force of nature. But ever since that catastrophe in Russia for Norris, it's like things have gone off the rails for them. They kind of lost their mojo and have not gotten it back, you know, big time. Yeah, I saw a movie about losing your mojo once. It can be pretty hard to get it back. Uh, so we shall see. But yeah, it's a, it's been a bummer because, like, Ricardo had a really slow start. He talked a lot about how hard the car was to figure out. And then it looked like he had figured things out. In the meantime, uh, the last podcast we talked about, there was a whole bunch of Danny Rick praise, uh, no doubt about it. And McLaren was looking good, but was not a great triple header for the Papaya boys. So let's go to Mexico on November 7th. Kind of a boring race, though I will say the one big thing here, it was fun watching Checo try to chase down Lewis Hamilton. Valtteri Botas on pole again. Graydon Hamilton, P2. This is going to shock you. Didn't go great at the start there. Verstappen passes Hamilton and Botas. Botas spins out on the start. He got tapped by Daniel Ricciardo in this one. Turned into a tire strategy race pretty quickly here. Hamilton pits for hards first at lap 30. Perez stays out. Hamilton comes out. Eventually, he's fifth behind Leclerc. Verstappen is next to come in lap 34. 
So he comes out, he's second place behind Checo Perez, who is the first Mexican to ever lead the Mexican Grand Prix. Very cool. Perez finally comes into pit on lap 40. When he comes out, he's in P3, nine seconds behind Hamilton. Hamilton is nine seconds behind Verstappen. Hamilton has no chance of catching Verstappen in this one. But the battle with Perez starts basically lap 50. Perez is six seconds back. He cuts into Hamilton's little bit of a lead here on lap 60. There's a one-second gap between Hamilton and Perez, so it's DRS mode here. On the last lap, a half-second gap. Bars from me right there. DRS straight between turns three and four. Unfortunately, Perez can't get it done. Verstappen wins. Hamilton comes in second. Perez comes in third. Perez, though, does become the first Mexican driver on the podium at the Mexican Grand Prix, and the celebration was on. That was fun to watch, for sure. Oh, oh my gosh. Awesome. I, I, th- I mean, it's a great crowd there, right? It was really cool to see Perez's dad kind of just totally losing it you know, down, uh, you know, by, in that kind of baseball stadium grandstand area. They were, I don't know, it's, I was really excited for Perez that he got on the podium. I was rooting for him to to Nick Hamilton, not in the sense that I necessarily even pulled for Perez over Hamilton. I just thought it would have been awesome for him to do so in Mexico. You know, I thought it would yeah. be cool. But it definitely was a track where, you know, going into it, we really hyped up Red Bull, said this is a Red Bull track. This is where they win. This is where they dominate. And coming out of Saturday, it looked anything but. You know, fit, you know, starting third and fourth, it didn't look like they had it, right? You know, or – it was it was unclear less, how it less was all, it, less, yeah. yeah, less had it. You know what I mean? I and it's but obviously by the time they were at turn two, that had corrected itself. They, I mean, at which point I think you know Max just they, they and Lewis himself admitted they just didn't have the car that day. What I think is incredible is the way we've seen the way that Max just kind of commanded that whole race and the way they've been unable to replicate that since is is fascinating and is what is going to make for really exciting stuff. Yeah, Verstappen dominated this race so much that Crofty had two lines for it. As soon as he finished, he called it the Mexico Grand Prix, and then he hit us with a Vamos Verstappen. That's how far ahead Verstappen was in this one. It was just a blowout. P4, though, for Gasly. That was a nice drive for him. Uh, P5 for Leclerc. P6 for Sainz. P10 for Norris. P12 for Ricardo. Ricardo, like I said bopped into Botas early in the race. He also uh, ran Lance Stroll wide. This was a bad one for the Papaya guys as well. Oh, it did not. did not go well. And this was the, yeah, what in retrospect was the beginning of the end. I don't think we realized it, but they were, this is where the their lead over Ferrari starts to slip away. I think they do flip in the standings here after this race or it narrows to basically nothing at this point. And, you know, they've been unable to get it back. Meanwhile, the Ferrari guys have been, very, very, you know, they've been very steady hands out there, solidly in the points, right up there at the top of the best of the rest, you know, kind of week in, week out. Uh, they're, 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 they're putting together a nice little season, despite the fact that they, according to Matteo Bonotto, have actually stopped working on their car and have dedicated 100% of resources to 2022 and did that quite a while back in the season. They've really shined here the last third of the year, I think, and are carrying a lot of momentum into the next season. Yeah, totally. It's the consistency that has been the difference because I remember, I think it was after we did kind of uh, our first half of the season recap and Signs at the time was leading Leclerc in the drivers. And you said it was basically because Leclerc had had a couple of moments where he didn't bring the car in. And, you know, he had just gone off for whatever reason, wasn't able to finish, got no points. But 
In all of these races, Sainz and Leclerc were either 5th and 6th or 7th and 8th. Meanwhile, Norris, 2P9s and... or 1P9 and 2P10s, which is bad, but at least it's better than Daniel Ricciardo, who scored zero points in this one. Is this... uh, Does McLaren have any chance of coming back against Ferrari uh, in the Constructors' Championship? Right now, a 39.5-point lead. Uh, Ferrari, a 39.5-foot pole, wasn't good enough for the Grinch, kept him far away. A 39.5-point lead. You think this one's safe for uh, the Scuderia? It's safe-ish. I mean, there is a lot of points out there still to be won, and I do think that, at least in Saudi Arabia, and I'm sure we'll discuss in other ways, it's a track that would seem to favor the more powerful Mercedes engine. So there's certainly a great opportunity for that. It's the second fastest, we'll deal with all this moment, but the second fastest track after Monza, where, as you remember, McLaren did very well. So I, th- so there is a, I think there's a huge opportunity for them to fight back here, but they're going to need two excellent drives from both drivers and perhaps a little bit of strategic or driver error from Ferrari's part, which Ferrari is fully capable of. We've seen it countless times in the past. So I think, so <laughs> I think it'll be, I think it'll, I think they can win, but you know, obviously they're basically 40 points ahead. That's a pretty big gap with only two to go. So we've got a race for the driver's championship between Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen. We've got a race for first place in the constructor's championship between Mercedes and Red Bull. And it feels like we've got a race maybe for third in constructors between Ferrari and McLaren. Would take a little bit of a miracle for McLaren. Sounds to me like we should really preview these last two races, Graydon. So we're going to take a quick break here. I know the show is called No Breaks, but it's spelled different. After the ads, we'll take a look at the last two races on the F1 schedule. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but you can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome back to No Breaks. Got a great question from the Slipstream here. Graydon, Eric Harper asks, who does everybody think is the most underrated driver on the grid? I say Carlos Perez. Wait, Carlos Sainz. Carlos Sainz. Carlos Sainz, could he be the most underrated driver on the grid? What do you think, Graydon? He is a great answer. You know, he is... I think the driver with the most races or most points, sorry, most points without ever actually winning a race. Mm. Uh, he's also got the longest current streak, I think, of 13 of finishing races in the points. So his consistency, which we've praised him for in the past here on this program, 
is absolutely proven to be true. I think that's a really good answer. I think, you know, gosh, who who else is underrated? Yeah, I I I probably would have had Perez coming into this season, then they put him in a Red Bull and it's gone okay. I thought he would be more challenging Max perhaps, but maybe that's just showing us how good Max really Pierre is. Pierre Gasly isn't really underrated anymore to me. I feel like people are on the Pierre Gasly train now that he's done so well at AlphaTauri. There's a point where I maybe would have said Pierre Gasly, but I feel like actually he's just rated, neither overrated <laughs> or underrated. Like I, yeah. so I, I, I think I don't know. And, and it one there's a point in time where I would have said Esteban Ocon also, who I think people sleep on a little bit, you know, but actually can can you know is very competitive out there, you know, wins. You know, has won a race this year, first of all. That's, you know, not mm-hmm. easy to do. But also, you know, lest we forget, Alonso is a two-time world champion and a and just a hell of a driver, and Ocon hangs with him. So that's, that's nothing to scoff at. But Carlos Sainz is probably the right answer. Well, you right mentioned answer. Carlos Sainz with a long streak of finishing in the points. So let's take a look at the standings because we got a point one here. In first, Max Verstappen with an eight-point lead ahead of Lewis Hamilton. In third, Botas. Then we go Perez, Norris, Leclerc, Sainz, Ricardo, Gasly, and Alonso. That's the top 10 in the Drivers' Championship. In the Constructors' standings, it's a flip-flop. We got Mercedes on top. They've got a minuscule five-point lead over Red Bull, sitting comfortably in second there. Ferrari, like we said, has got a 39-and-a-half-foot lead on McLaren. So that could be our top three, though the top two certainly are still up for grabs. Saw this on F1's Twitter uh, this week, Graydon. Really like the tail of the tape for the two title contenders here. Max Verstappen, nine wins on the year. Hamilton's got seven. They're basically even on podium. 16 for Max, 15 for Lewis. Though, many more laps led by Verstappen. 620 to 228. I've seen some people in the comments saying that it would be a disappointment if Max doesn't win this title, considering... Red Bull has probably been the team to beat, even though Mercedes is ahead in the Constructors' Championship. We had a couple of uh, things, you know, where uh, a couple of races where Verstappen uh, didn't finish or was kind of knocked out of the race and knocked out of the points at the very least. Uh, A couple of just little mistakes, whereas for Mercedes, it's more Ben Botas has been coming up. A little bit behind, but it's going to be an exciting final two races here, Graydon. So let's take a look at the first one on the calendar, the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix this weekend. We got qualifying on Saturday, practice, I should say, on Friday, qualifying on Saturday, the race Sunday, December 5th. This is the first ever Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. It's going to be a night race. We don't have any sort of track record here, but it is the second longest course on the schedule and as you mentioned it's being billed as the fastest street track ever seen in formula one i'm we're showing you the the course layout here on youtube very long straight and skinny i would say this track is who do you think it's going to favor Graydon? i think this is almost certainly going to favor mercedes it seems like it's going to favor straight line speed, which they've been dominant in. It looks like it's, you know, it's overwhelmingly composed of long straights, 
fast corners. I mean, the amount of time you're going to be at full throttle on this track is going to be a huge percentage of the time. So it seems to me like if Merck brings their best, it's got to be their race to lose. Uh, I, I would, to be honest, it, it, I, it's, it feels to me like almost like a very high, like a high speed Monaco almost uh, in terms of its narrowness, but it's kind of being constructed very differently. That's actually my worry is, is that while very fast and coming at a pivotal moment in the championship battle, I'm concerned about the overtaking ability on the track. There are three DRS zones. So that's, that's awesome. And will allow for maybe a faster car in the back, you know, to, to overtake, but will that, make a difference for Red Bull if they're stuck behind Mercedes. I don't know that a DRS zone is going to make the difference. It certainly hasn't in the last couple of races. So I don't know. We'll see. I see Bilal here is mentioning that there are a lot of turns. So perhaps Red Bull with their downforce will see some sort of an advantage uh, here. What are the general strengths, would you say, between the Mercedes and the Red Bull cars? Red Bull is going to be faster on corners. Mercedes faster on straights. Yeah, I mean, historically, Red Bull is a super is super fast in the slow corners because of their high downforce. They can maintain like a higher speed in a quote unquote slow corner, which swiping slow, those margins really matter. Um, you know, they're also you know that's why even in places like Mexico City where the air is very thin, that high downforce helps a lot. Uh, you know, we're oppositely kind of the lower rake. You know structure of the Mercedes makes them faster on straightaways, faster in high speed corners. Um, but also the, you know, Mercedes is probably really the, the first to crack the code of the V6 hybrid engine. They've always kind of, other than those years where maybe Ferrari was being a little naughty with their engine setup, you know, basically have had the most powerful engine out there. Um, but Red Bull closed the gap this year in general. That's one thing I would say about these two cars this year is historically the differences were bigger there in terms of how they approached downforce, how they did this. But after so many years working under fairly similar regulations, they both kind of iterated to a point of nearly optimal race car conditions. So it's, of course, the different setups favor different tracks. You see them perform differently. But I mean, at this point, they're both truly incredible cars that are going to perform exceptionally well at any track that's why you see max and lewis just you know gobbling up one twos you race in race out so so if this is going to be kind of a high speed monaco you're telling me saturday is going to be very important watch the qualifying i think saturday is really important here i think saturday is really important here i think that i mean i i think that it's important in in both these last two races in fact probably even more so in abu dhabi um, I think we just don't know about Saudi Arabia, right? Even Qatar, actually, I think there was a lot of cynicism coming in about the ability to pass in Qatar and the concern that it would just be a parade and that that wouldn't be good. But we actually, we saw more passing ability than we anticipated. And we saw some good overtakes and we saw a, little, a lot more action than I think, you know, uh, originally expected. That didn't come at the very front of the grid, but throughout. So, you know, I hope I'm kind of wrong, but I think the anxiety here, given the narrowness of the track, has to be, you know, will we have that same problem? Well, it doesn't seem like we're going to have a problem with overtaking once we get to Abu Dhabi. We got practice for the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix December 10th. That's Friday on Saturday qualifying. And on December 12th, we've got the race described on Formula1.com 
They say that uh, the track in Abu Dhabi is dominated by its straight between turns five and six, which with slow speed corners marking its beginning and end makes it a honeypot for overtaking moves. What a description, Graydon. An overtaking honeypot sort of turn there between five and six. This one, it seems to me, does favor Mercedes. This track's been around for a little bit. They started racing here in 2009. Lewis Hamilton has won five times. 2014, 16, 18, and 19. Verstappen won there last year. But Mercedes, in general, has won six times in 12 years. So if you're Red Bull, you want to have a big lead going into this one, it seems. Am I right? Yeah, I definitely think that this is... These are tough races for Red Bull to end the season on. I would argue both these tracks favor Mercedes. You know, it's not just because the Mercedes car has looked excellent recently. I think these would have been probably, you know, Mercedes races, even if the if things were basically, you know, 50-50. So I think this is... This is tough, and I I honestly think that if you're a Red Bull, you are nervous about the fact that you might lose this title at the last moment. I I would be. I I think this is going to be hard, and you're going to need to probably – you're going to need to play it perfect strategically in both races. You know, Max is going to – I think you can trust that Max will drive the living hell out of the car, but it's – it's – it's going to be tight. I don't, I don't think what we're going to see. I don't think that Max is going to, unless something happens like, like Lewis Hamilton gets in an accident or there's a tire puncture or there's some other thing that causes Lewis to drop down the field. It's hard for me to imagine Red Bull sewing it up in Saudi Arabia. I think we absolutely go into Abu Dhabi with the title still up for grabs. Woo! Spicy, spicy. I cannot wait. Let's make some predictions here, uh, Graydon. We got two races left, the 5th and the 12th. First, Lewis versus Max. Who do you think is going to be taking home the Drivers' Championship? Well, and I think in our very first podcast, my prediction was that it would be that that Max would win out in the end. And I'm going to reverse that. I'm going to reverse that. I think Lewis has what it takes to win these last two races. I think the Merc car looks good. I think the course favors them. I think Lewis is absolutely locked in right now. There was a period midseason where I do think he actually seemed a little rattled mm-hmm. and a little and a little shocked at the fact that he wasn't just cruising to yet another title. But he is back mentally and... I, I think he I think he pulls out two, you know, potentially two race wins, but certainly has enough to to nick the title. I think it's close though. I think we're it's definitely a single digit points thing here at the very end. Oh, it definitely feels like it. I'm obviously going with Hamilton here. I like that this is going to be a different kind of win for him. I think they said uh, as the Qatar Grand Prix was getting ready to kick off, I think they said that he hasn't won a title where he hasn't had it sewn up like with more than six races left. So like a come from behind win to break the record for most titles, that'd be legendary stuff from a legendary driver. And you know, you can just feels like he smells it right now. Like he's got it in his grasp. He's just got to be able to figure it out 
Although he's got experience with this, you know, his very first title. So that's with Mercedes, but his very first title with McLaren back in 2008, you know, he, he came back, you know, he won it away from Felipe Massa at Interlagos on the last lap. I think, you know, he overtook a car to what move into fifth or something like that, you know, but even Felipe Massa had thought he had already won the, you know, thought he was world champion was celebrating having crossed the line. And then, you know, he, he, he nicked him at the very end. So that, so he's he's done some very high pressure stuff like this in his career, and I think he has what it takes again. Surprising to me that Lewis Hamilton wouldn't say winning his first title on the last lap of the last race of the season was his best race win, but... Uh, <laughs> That's true, you think. You know, I think that so would be a pretty good one. Maybe biased. it was so long ago, he's like, yeah, whatever. I was young, that was boring. I... No rearview mirrors for Lewis Hamilton, just like Jimmy Butler. So if you think Lewis is going to take uh, the driver's championship, I assume that means you think Mercedes will take the constructors as well. I mean, the, the only thing would be a continued meltdown from, from, from my boy Valtteri. <laughs> you know, just as long as Val can like put in a couple decent races where he just absolutely does not you know, you know, drive the car to a brick wall. I think they also will have it sewed up. So. Yeah, that'll be crazy. It'll be very strange to me, Graydon, if, uh, you know, after everything that went down between Hamilton and Verstappen and Verstappen building this big lead, if Lewis Hamilton comes back and wins the last four races to win another championship for Red Bull or for Mercedes and another championship for himself, is this his best championship since that first one? Or is this just the latest it's legendary it's not to no offense to any of our native atlantis but it's like tom brady versus the falcons type stuff right like everybody thinks they're done you know everybody thinks that they're cooked and like they just don't got it and the dynasty is over and like somehow they just pull something out of nothing you know i it, it feels like that right you know so i it's i, I think this would be I think this would be their greatest victory in the sense that it's the one that was hardest to achieve, you might say. Yeah, totally. Can't wait to see what goes down this weekend because, like you're saying, uh, final race of the year, Abu Dhabi probably is going to favor Mercedes even more so uh, than this next one in Saudi Arabia is. So tons of pressure on Saturday qualifying. Going to be exciting. We got... One more break left after the ads. We'll talk about all the latest news in the F1 world. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply. 
Welcome back to No Breaks. Silly season is long gone, but we still have one driver change for next season. Graydon Guan Yu Zhou, currently a Formula 2 driver in the Alpine Academy. Going to be stepping up to the big leagues next season, joining Valtteri Bottas at Alfa Romeo to become China's first full-time Formula 1 driver. Guan Yu Zhou currently second in F2 right now. Got any idea what to expect in F1, Graydon? Yeah, it's tough as a rookie, for sure. You know, I I don't think I look for him to just have a barn burner of a year, but he's definitely done all the right things in the lower leagues. And with three wins, I think this year in Formula 2, there's there's a really solid pedigree there. And as an Alpine test driver, you know, he's been behind the wheel of a Formula 1 car. I think he'll he'll come in just about as well as probably any rookie does, you know, but... uh, and it'll be interesting to see. I think, you know, there's, there's people are, I'm interested to see how Alpha evolves. They're actually kind of, I think, distancing themselves strategically a little bit from Ferrari, where for a while there, they were almost kind of hovering as the Ferrari B team, a bit like Alpha Tauri to Red Bull. Now I think they're kind of starting to chart their own path and want to find ways to work their way back up the grid. So, you know, hopefully they'll have a chance to fight for some points. Um, I'm, I'm excited. I think this is, makes perfect sense. China's a huge market for F1. It's a long time coming that they have some representation in the sport. Do you follow F2 in general? I mean, I keep, I keep up with it. I what like, I I keep up with like who's at the top of the standings and like, and you know, guys who are hovering around the prospect of making the leap and I'll watch a couple races a year, but not like, you know, there's only so many hours of the day. All right, well, then you're going to know this name because Bilal says Oscar Piastri seems like the real deal. I'm with you. I only kind of know what's going on in Formula 2, but that's the name I know, Oscar Piastri. Kind of surprising that he's not getting a spot next year. Yeah, I think I actually agree. You know, there's there's probably a little bit. I wonder whether there's this comes down to the dollars and the sense of it a little bit as far as like sponsorship money and what sort of sponsorship, you know, that, uh, you know, one you could bring to the table as opposed to Piastri, who I believe is Australian. And there's sometimes there is only so many sponsorship, correct, I believe, right? So there's only so many sponsorship dollars to go around. Uh, Ricardo's probably already gobbling up a lot of those, you know, in the Australian market. So I, I wonder whether some of that has to play, but I agree. He looks awesome and has been rocketing through the lower leagues. I expect him to get a drive one of these days. I was that. It seems to me like just a lot of people just stayed put this year so or a lot of the we definitely are having a lot less turnover than we've had in some previous years so you know it makes me got you got to think that you know at some point some of these older guys will start to wash out and people like piastri will, will get their shot yeah we shall see you mentioned uh basically a totally new squad for alfa romeo next year with uh guan yujo joining valtteri botas do you expect anything more from alfa romeo i was kind of surprised to see that they're actually in ninth in the constructor standing right now not been a great year. Pretty anonymous, I would say. No, you can't get much worse than that, right? I mean, to be the only to have Haas, who basically, you know, they're a Formula you know, Two fo- team, folded, folded yeah. on the season. You know, you know, from from day one, I think to be the only team worse than you is is not is not great. Uh, you know, it's certainly been a slide. So, but. You know, we'll see. But I will say that you know, Valtteri, at least he claims had the opportunity to go to either Williams or Alpha. Uh, he said that he looked seriously at both of those and felt more confident about Alpha, uh, Alpha's roadmap 
in the coming years. So that also just has to do with the length of the deal they gave him, which is something he always wanted from Mercedes. But, you know, they, they were, I don't know. I definitely think that this is, I hope they do well. I love the team, but it's like, Oh, gosh, they looked terrible this year. <laughs> <laughs> that has not been their year, though. I will say yeah. Antonio Giovinazzi, he can have a nice five laps to start the race. Uh, and Guan Yu Zhou is actually going to be taking Giovinazzi's spot. Uh, Giovinazzi had three seasons in Formula One. He is going to be going to Formula E, the all-electric championship. But he's also going to be sticking around as Ferrari's reserve driver if they ever need a sub. I guess he also kind of wants to get into a... Uh, endurance driving do you ever think we're going to see Giovinazzi back in Formula One I I suspect not I think that he just didn't do well enough I mean these there's only 20 of these seats and listen we do see guys fall out and fall back in Alex Albon dropped out made it back in Esteban Ocon dropped out made it back in but those guys had the backing of of some very powerful people Toto Wolf and Christian Horner in particular in their cases and it took a lot of finagling to get them back you know, into the series I, I think probably Giovinazzi ends up being there's a lot of guys in Formula E you know, that are XF1 drivers. I think he probably ends up just riding it out there for a while. And in, Dur- and in the WEC as well, endurance racing, you see tons of XF1 guys. That's, that's probably the rest of his career. Because who's going to take a flyer on him? Like, what did he do that you're like, oh, we need to give this guy a second shot when there are guys, you know, like Piastri sitting out there? So. He's a good starter, man. Don't hold it against them the rest of the race. The first five laps, that's Giovinazzi's time to shine. I love it. So that's the good news. Also some sad news in the Formula One world. Sir Frank Williams, who founded the Williams F1 team in 1977, passed away last weekend at 79 years old. Tributes came pouring in from around the F1 world. And I would say the word that I saw the most in these, Graydon, Kindness. Everybody highlighting how kind Sir Frank Williams was. The guy was a legend in the sport. I think he remained the team principal of Williams Racing until September 2020, making him the longest and most successful team principal in F1 history, though his daughter Claire took over day-to-day operations in 2013. What should we know about Sir Frank Williams, Graydon? Gosh, I mean, Frank is a true legend of the sport right when he founded and also a guy from a totally different era right we this is today this is a big money sport with huge corporations coming in when he founded frank williams racing in 1996 which was excuse me 1966 which was the organization that preceded williams racing which was officially founded in 77 he was a traveling grocery salesman who just loved racing and even in 77 you know he was he was running short on bills he was like buying you know taking loans to buy a chassis to like try to enter into races you know, he, he, he it was just a totally different f1 that he found his way into and then starting from nothing proceeded to win nine constructor championships and seven drivers titles with guys like Alan Jones, Kiki Rosberg, Nelson Piquet, Nigel Mansell, Alan Prost, Damon Hill, Jacques Villeneuve, and then also had famously Ayrton Senna drive for him, who died behind the wheel of a Williams, but never won a championship with them. So, you know, was the principal of some of the true greats of this sport, you know, guys who are, you know, legends, you know, on the track. So he's, I feel like a lot of young, young, newer fans, you know, because he had a, 
very tragic kind of accident in 1986 that left him wheelchair bound. They don't know him as this kind of like electrifying on his feet, like exuberant character that he was for so many people for years. But the truth is, is he's awesome. And I would encourage everybody to go watch the 2017 documentary Williams, which is about him and his family. And the, it's, it's pretty well done in my opinion. And, you know, uh, complicated because I think he is a complicated figure, but, uh, it just this is I, I was trying to think of a good NBA comparison here. Yeah, I, I don't know. Nobody, you know, there's I mean, I, I, I couldn't. I don't know. I didn't end up coming up with one. You know, maybe a maybe a Popovich or something like that. Somebody that's what I was, was going to say. Beloved but you're the and guy, over man. beloved. I know. I feel like that's, that's an easy one. But, you know, a guy who won tons of titles, did it over, did it over decades, you know, and was beloved by kind of everybody around the league. It feels like, you know, maybe that's. That's the sort of guy that we've lost. So. Seems fitting to me. I'm definitely going to check out that documentary. There's also a bunch of really good stuff on Sir Frank Williams on Formula One's YouTube channel as well. So that's worth checking out. Uh, Williams family sold the team after last season, but they're still a big part of the team. Everybody calls them the patri- uh, calls Sir Frank Williams the patriarch. Obviously, they're still involved uh, from a figurehead standpoint. And there's a bunch of tributes planned for the Saudi Arabian GP this weekend. Definitely going to be checking into that. Graydon, any other news out there you want to get to? No, but I will just say to to speak to Frank's significance, we've seen teams change hands all the time. Ownership changes hands all the time. We saw Force India become Racing Point, become Aston Martin. We see whatever, you know, pe- people change their name. We saw, you know, Braun GP become Mercedes, whatever. It's it says something that when new owners took over Williams, they were like, we can't change the name. It's got to stay Williams. That, like, you know, that, that to me it, right there says just how important this guy was to the sport and how important his name is. So. I think that's great. Great place to end it. Graydon, thanks once again for coming and joining us to talk about fast race cars go follow Graydon at mr gordian on twitter m-r-g-o-r-d-i-a-n it's the only place you can get tweets like this comparing some guy from some show to george russell and lake bell i gotta say Graydon, i'm with you george russell looks more like this guy from sex lives of college girls then Lake Bell looks like wait, this guy from Lair, Sex wait. Lives of the College Girls. Tara, my <laughs> wife was like, wait, I didn't mean Lake Bell. She meant, um, who was it she meant? Somebody else tweeted at me about it. Oh, I'm trying to find what you said. They're a different, a different woman. Uh, that um, guy could play George Russell, though, in a movie. I thought Easily. he really looks like George Russell. That guy totally looks, really like, George looks Russell. like George Russell. Who, oh gosh, who is the... She was the actress who, oh gosh, ah, I'm gonna think of it. I'm gonna think of it the minute we, the minute we finish the show. That's but. all right. Tune in next time. That's what we call a tease. Graydon's gonna let us know who his wife was talking about from that tweet. <laughs> <laughs> she if that's did. not gonna get you to tune in. What will? Yeah. Yeah, so make sure to follow No Dunks at No Dunks Inc. anywhere you can. YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, at No Dunks Inc. everywhere. You can email us at nodunks at theathletic.com. Let us know if you want more breaks or less. No breaks. Too bad you're getting more. We're also back tomorrow for some basketball talk on No Dunks. 
10 a.m. Eastern. I'm hosting a live room on the Athletic app with Darnell Mayberry talking about how much the Bulls are back. And we've got no buffs later on Thursday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern to break down the latest episode of Survivor that's going down tonight. Never stop, never stop. And you in on Survivor, Graydon? I, this is my biggest, this has got to be my biggest break with the whole No Dogs crew. I feel like I haven't watched an episode of Survivor in 20 years or something. I feel like I, so this is, yeah. Well, I, I'd I like to mention, about Brayden, it, nothing about it. I know you're not in right now, but I'm sure JD will, will agree. No, it was the perfect time to get in. Oh my God. Right at the end. It would be like starting to watch the F1 season right now. Coming down to it. Only a few All episodes left. Who would be the who's sole winning? survivor? Who's winning? Who, okay. <laughs> Sell me on it. You who's got winning? 30 seconds. Uh, Sell me up there. Why? Okay. <laughs> who's winning? I would say it's a two-man race uh, between Ricard. Are there literally two contestants left? Is that why uh, it's a two-man race? We got race? seven left, but uh, okay, I would say Ricard okay. and Deshaun are probably your leaders right now. Okay. Who's the Verstappen? Who's the Hamilton? Tune into No Buffs tomorrow to hear our breakdown of it all. Clipper Bros! You heard it here first. Have a great time. Turn up. Love you guys. Awesome. Stay speedy, people. Thanks for joining us. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.